Thank you, God, for giving us such a beautiful song that says so much. Because one of the big messages of today's gospel reading is that when it's all been said and done, all my earthly treasures will mean nothing. And only the treasures of heaven, our relationship with you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the love that we have shared and shown towards others will be all that remains because it's our soul is all that remains. And Lord, you want us to be with you from here to eternity. And we thank you for giving us that opportunity through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, whom you sent to this earth to live and die amongst us and to rise again from the grave so that we could have new life. All we need to do is believe. You have so graciously given new life and redemption for our sins to us. We just have to believe and follow Jesus and obey. And Lord, I just pray that these words that I bring will in some some way help your people, Lord, to walk with you just a little bit more each and every day and to focus more on being rich towards you, our God, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. There's different Sundays, the readings, you know, work in different way, ways. There are, you know, some Sundays where it's harder to detect the theme for the day. But today is not one of those. All the three readings that we did all speak loud and clearly that life is about being rich towards God and not seeking riches for ourselves and just seeking our earthly comforts just for ourselves without any focus on God. And we can look throughout history and we don't have to go back. We can look today where we see that unchecked greed has infected lives throughout the centuries. In this, uh, you know, within the last 12 years, we've seen a lot of corporate downfalls. And greed was one of the big causes of that. Back in uh, 2001, and this, this company is especially close to me because my, my brother worked there for two years, but he was gone before they had all their troubles, and I can rest assured he didn't cause any of their troubles. But uh, I'm sure many of you remember Enron. And if you're in business, and certainly if you're in finance and accounting, that has changed uh, some of the things that, that you need to do. And Enron, at its peak in 2000, had $100 billion dollars of annual revenues at 22,000 people that they employed. They were, an, they were an energy commodities and services company, although they didn't do as much as, as uh, people believed that they did. 
and unfortunately in 2001 they went bankrupt due to accounting and corporate fraud and the greed the greed of its senior executives were one of the root causes of this scandal and downfall and then a year later we had WorldCom that also went bankrupt and at the time that was the biggest bankruptcy in US history and sadly the the chief executive officer was sentenced to 25 years in prison and the CFO five years in prison for fraudulent actions just to keep their fortunes and to deceive um, you know, investors in the Wall Street community. And then, well, you know, that's just corporate, right? Well, we look no further than our governments. And 16 days ago, there was the city of Detroit that went bankrupt. The largest U.S. city, a city that has 700,000 people currently, sadly back in the 1950s it had 1.8 million people, um, and it declared bankruptcy. And amazingly, it has a billion dollar budget and it has $16 billion worth of debt. Now there are many reasons why the city of Detroit has gone bankrupt, but the greed and hunger for power of certain elected government officials is certainly one contributor to the city going bankrupt because some were looking out more for themselves than for the citizens of Detroit. But unfortunately, greed also makes its way into the church as well. I'm sure you've all are aware of, of some scandals and then you can also look at things and say, I don't know, is that, is that, is that being rich towards God or is that being more rich toward yourself. And I just want to draw back to 2007 when the Iowa Senator Charles Grassley opened a probe into the finances of six televangelists who preach a prosperity gospel. And this probe went on for three years and they were investigating reports of lavish lifestyles that included fleets of Rolls Royces, palatial mansions, private jets, and other expensive items allegedly paid for by television viewers who donated as the ministries would encourage and some repeatedly emphasize giving money to the ministry. And by my account, and I did not do extensive research, but income from the ministry and extensive book sales appear to be what have greatly enriched these televangelists. And I don't know what's inside their hearts, but to me, something just doesn't look right and doesn't look like, you know, that this is all about being rich towards God. And I'm not going to name names, and I'm going to just list uh, some economic facts about two of these. One Georgia um, minister has a net worth of $27 million, and he owns two Rolls Royces and a private jet. Another, out of Texas, owns a $10 million mansion, expensive cars, and a private jet worth approximately $36 million. Net worth, $42 million. Now, there's an, another internationally famous church pastor, not part of this probe, um, owns a 17,000-square-foot house worth $10.5 million, and that's in a city not named New York and San Francisco, which have by far the most expensive real estate in the country. And this preacher has a net worth of $40 million. Now, not that saying that they've done anything 
you know, illegal, but sadly we have. Um, we have pastors who have, who have cheated people out of money. There's a, in 2010, there's a former pastor who is serving consecutive six-year terms for nine counts of fraud in a scheme that cost 2,900 investors over $13 million. And most egregious, the judge found that the pastor targeted people over the age of 65 and used religion to influence them. The pastor and his three sons pocketed $6 million and bought many luxuries. How did these church pastors seem to go off track? Well, I would say they certainly took their eyes off God and allowed their hearts to be moved away from what matters most to God in emphasizing their own self-interest. In certainly, um, you know, the pastor who went to jail and, and perhaps in, in some or, you know, in some of these other pastors that with incredible net worth for income from church ministry, greed seems to have taken over. Well, we can also look at the Bible and we see greed in action. In Luke chapter 18, we, we read about the rich young ruler who Jesus tells to go sell your possessions if you want to inherit eternal life. And, and he, he went away sad because he loved his possessions more than God. And then going back to Israel, back their first, their earliest days in the promised land after Jericho had fallen so that they could occupy the promised land. There was a man named Achan who stole the riches of Canaan that the people of Jericho had left behind who had been slaughtered at God's command. That's in Joshua chapter 7. The Lord had specifically told Joshua and Israel to leave the, the silver and the gold, the articles of bronze and iron. Those were to be holy to the Lord. But no, Achan had to take some for himself. And because of this disobedience, Israel was defeated in battle by the city of Ai, and Achan's sin was fined out, and he had to be killed so that, that Israel could be restored to holiness and could be consecrated to the Lord. Greed and storing up and using earthly treasures for ourselves are not part of God's kingdom agenda. And unfortunately, our world and sinful humanity too often promote greed and accumulation of wealth and material things. Sadly, human greed, sinfulness, and hardness of art too often manifests itself in family life and especially upon the death of loved ones when it's time to divide up the family estate. I know of, of one person right where I, where I live who's experienced this. And the uh, Kent Hughes, the senior pastor, Emeritus, he had been at Wheaton College and their college church in Illinois for 20 to 30 years. He told a story that his English, college English professor told him in his freshman English class. Well, she had three sisters and they grew up in a small Midwestern town during the Great Depression in the 1930s. And in spite of the bad economic times, her father became a successful banker. 
And she went to university, got married, and taught English on the West Coast while her sisters remained in the Midwest. And they married too. Many years later, their father died. So she and her husband came back for the funeral. And as they comforted their poor mother in her home, they noticed in amazement that everything in the house had been tagged by the other sisters with their names, Judy's, Margaret's, Annie's. She and her husband were appalled, but they said nothing. And so then the table was set and they sat down to eat dinner. And the tension was thick. And the conversation was awkward. And there was periods of uncomfortable silence. And then her husband stood and stepped behind their mother's chair and said, Everyone has tagged what they want. We're placing our tag on what we want. And he placed his hands on his mother's shoulders. That's what we want. Sadly, greed can be ugly. And it can turn families into division. And it, and, and it can turn families mourning into hatred and division amongst the family members who, who remain. And I say that because today's gospel begins with a man in the crowd who comes to Jesus and he commands Jesus. He doesn't ask. He says, teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, there was a prescribed manner for dividing up the family inheritance. The uh, oldest son would divide the inheritance and he would be entitled to two shares. And then the rest of the sons would be entitled to one share. So the man apparently, because he's coming up to Jesus, is not receiving what he thought he was entitled to. And so he did what many first century Jews commonly did. They went to a rabbi to settle legal disputes. And he wanted Jesus to settle, obviously, in, you know, in his favor. But Jesus would not do so. Because, one, I think, because Jesus sensed that this man had a covetous, greedy spirit. But more importantly, or as importantly, that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to settle family disputes. He came to earth to reveal God to man and to reconcile God to man. And Jesus, as we know, is one very focused you know, on his mission and on the things of God, his Father. And Jesus wants to tell the man and the crowd that life with God and not possessions is what matters most in life. And he wants to warn the man and the crowd against greed. Now that word greed, and like I think in, uh, in, a, in a Colossians we, we read covetousness which is very hard to say. I was thinking after Diane, I, was, I don't want to embarrass Diane, but I did the same thing at the 8 o'clock. Let's all, let's take a little break right now and let's say covetousness five times. Covetousness, 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 covetousness. Hey, I did all right. Um, now, hopefully, that will go, I guess, actually, it's really out of here. I mean, it gets here, but this is where the problem can be. So that, that Greek word means the state of desiring to have more than one's due. And then they also say covetousness. A desire that you just can't satisfy. And I think coveting 
can be wanting more than what God is giving you or, or will give you, or certainly wanting things that are not your own. And the problem with things, the problem with wealth, the problem with many things of this world is that at the end of the day, they don't always satisfy. And they will not satisfy forever. Because eventually, you know, and especially, and, and for, for most of us, it's not a problem. Oh, I've got all these things. I don't, you know, I don't know if any of us have private jets or, or any of these things. But it doesn't matter however little or much we have. We can be greedy. We can be covetous. We can be more covetous than and we are than some people who have incredible wealth because they, they freely give of that. They don't own it. I mean, they own it, but they, but they really don't. And it doesn't, they, they don't let that be you know, their, their great focus. And they use it to be rich towards God. And that's what, no matter how little or, mu- uh, or much that we have, that's what God wants us to do. We have a, a sto- I think it's a parable when um, you know, the widow puts in, what is it, two small coins. And Jesus emphasizes her giving more than anybody else and everybody else who gave more than she did. Because it's, it's what's going on in this heart. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul tells the Colossians, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, including greed, which is idolatry. The real problem with, with greed is that it is, it's making, it's, it's, it's idolatry. When we, we worship something more, or we worship something instead of worshiping God, or it distracts us from that worship. So, after seeing this man and telling the people to beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So this is a serious warning that Jesus is issuing. He goes on to tell a parable to the crowd. And he speaks of a man who is already rich. And then this man has an abundant crop that yields more than his barns can hold. And verse 16 says that God gave the man this abundance. It doesn't say that the rich man produced all these things. It was the land. And we know God gave that land and allowed it to flourish. And so the man, you know, thinks very logically and says, I got so much grain here, I don't know, it's, it's going to overflow my barns. So I need to build bigger barns so that I can store it all. And that might be okay, if he was going to share it with others and he was going to do what God would want him to do with that grain. But he plans to store it for himself for many years. And then he says in verse 19, he tells what his agenda is. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He wanted to just live off that, live for himself, you know, and his, uh, and his family and his household. And he also tip, tips off, if he doesn't just say this, notice how many times in, uh, let's see, three verses he says the words, I and my. It's all about him. There's nothing 
about, about God. What would God want me to do? And it's because the, the rich man does not understand the ways of God. God has given us many things, and he expects them to be used for his glory and to fulfill his kingdom purposes. The chief aim of life is not to indulge oneself. And this rich man has forgotten this or never, never realized this because we enter the world with nothing but our soul and we leave the world with nothing but our soul. This man has accumulated wealth and he thinks he's secure. He's certainly financially secure for the rest of his life. And he's greedy because, I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's a year when his things, um, you know, when, it, when he's got a very bad, there's drought and, his, and his, uh, his lands don't produce very much. But if he produced so much crop in one year, we could expect that there's going to be enough for him in each year. There's certainly enough to, to give towards up to, to others. And... While, while this man has planned out how he's going to spend the rest of his life, there's one fact that he has ignored. He's ignored the fact that someday he's going to die. And it's beyond his control when he's going to die. And God then tells him in verse uh, 20, You are going to die. And by the way, you're a fool. Because this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what? You have prepared. The man was living, like the psalmist says in, in Psalms 14, verse 1, that he was thinking of his own pleasure and behaving as if there was no God. God had wanted this man to give generously out of his abundant excess and use his abundance to bless others and to glorify God and to show the love of Christ and of God in his, in his actions. But this rich man was greedy and was only rich and generous towards himself. And Jesus condemned this man because of his greed and for thinking that he was the master of his destiny when it was God who is the master of his de destiny. And as we come to Ecclesiastes, we see some, you know, these themes echoed a bit. We have the great King Solomon as he is looking back at the end of his life and he reflects and he writes in Ecclesiastes that life is purposeless and meaningless if, it's not, if it is not centered on God. And Solomon sees at the end of his life that he has left God in many ways. It wasn't that way because remember when, when he asked God when God asked him what he wanted, he said, I want wisdom, and he, and, which was a noble thing. He didn't ask for riches and all that, but somewhere along the way, he started leaving God, and he started leaving him more and more. And now he looks back and he sees that most of his life was meaningless because he did not rely on God as he should have. And those the great words, one of the words most, actually I think it's the most used, uh, word in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity. Or it could just be this stuff is all it is is vanity. It's all, Eugene Peterson says it's smoke. It's just, uh, you know, like striving, like trying to catch the wind. It's, it's not worth a whole lot. 
And in today's reading, Solomon says that I built and made many things for myself. I possessed more flocks of sheep and herds of cattle than anyone who had ever lived in Jerusalem. I had more riches of silver, gold, and treasures than any king on the earth. And I had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I indulged myself in any pleasure that I wanted. And I was pleased with my labor. But now as I look back at all my years of great work unto myself, it was all vanity and it was worth very little. Now, we don't have, none of of us have those things that Solomon speaks of. None of us are rich men with so much farm crops that, you know, we don't know what to do with it. But there's still a message for each and every one of us in these readings and in Jesus' parable. And it's when God looks at you and me, he wants to see whether and how rich we are toward God with however much or little that we have. Because, my friends, greed does not discriminate. The human heart, every human heart, is susceptible to greed. And greed is kind of a slippery thing. And it can be a very subtle thing. But it can creep in and grow and grow and turn our hearts away toward being the generous heart that is rich toward God that Jesus speaks of. So you may ask, what, what can I do? Or, or some will, you know, can certainly testify to things they do that keep our desire for things and for possessions and, and, it can, and for many other things. How do we keep that in check? And how do we cultivate a heart rich towards God? Well, Jesus, when we go on in Luke and we read chapter uh, verses 22 to 34 in chapter 12, Jesus tells us, I think, one of the great prescriptions, and that is, do not worry about your life. And then he also says, seek God's kingdom. And, and they go together, but when you seek what God wants and the way God wants you to live and seeking the things of God, you don't have to worry about your life. God knows you need food and and clothing. And God will certainly feed you since he feeds unclean, unclean ravens, which he talks about. And he will certainly clothe you because he clothes the lilies of the valley and the grass in the fields. So he will do those things. And then, you know, you know, one of the, the tough things are Okay, that's great. I got food and clothing, but I don't have good health. I got, I got bad health, and I've been having it for a long time, or I have friends and family who have those things. I don't know why all those, all those things happen, but God has something better in store for us after we live on this earth, and that, and that will last so much more. We may live whether we live 10 years, 30 years, 50, 70, 90, eternity is just so much longer than that. And the one thing that we can have, we will leave, we will leave bad health behind if we're 
If we're in poverty, we'll leave that behind. If we're wealthy as can be, we will leave that behind. But the one thing that we will have, and that is God, and that's our relationship with Him, and He wants us to live with Him forever, and He has made that available to us. And this particular message and our readings, you know, were about things financial and greed. But we can take those to other aspects of our life. Because we always have to come back and reflect and ask ourselves, what matters most to us in life? Is it our home? Is it our cars? Our car, having fun, success, money, wealth, fame? None of these things really matter all that much to God. Things like family, loving and caring for others, and then most of all, loving God and knowing Him and making that the, the most important thing in your life and really a singular, as much of a singular focus on that as you possibly can. You, you, and because when we do that, the other things in life happen a whole lot better and we're able you know, to love our, our family, our friends, our neighbor, as we've seen in, in uh, a few Sundays back, that neighbor encompasses everybody. And it helps us to be content with what God has given us. And this parable tells us that we are not to be consumed with material things and allow greed to overtake us and to poison our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, my friends, as, as we... Look around in our world. We have seen that greed, run amok, has ruined and will continue to ruin many lives and push hearts away from the things of God. And instead of pursuing things that do not last, God wants us to be rich towards Him. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God, and God will provide what we need to live, and He will give us treasures in heaven that last for eternity. Amen.